You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Amazing. So we're just going to welcome Hetel. <laughs> Come on, raise the roof. <laughs> Um, Hetel is, um, is a mum, she's a doctor, she's a dear friend um, and just wonderful, wonderful woman. So um, we're just going to pray for her before she comes to speak. So Lord, we, we just thank you for, for Hetel's heart, Lord, for all that she has prepared and poured into this morning, Lord Jesus. We just pray that you'd so bless her words, Lord, um, and, and just prepare our hearts for all that she's going to bring, Lord. We just pray that you would move um, move powerfully this morning through through all that Hetel has. Um, and Lord, would you bless her um, for who she is and all that, yeah, all that you've, you're doing through her. Thank you, Lord. So hello, as Naomi said, my name's Hetel and I'm part of the team here and I oversee Alpha in our internship year and it's lovely to speak to you today and a particularly warm welcome to those of you that are here for the first time, especially those of you that wouldn't usually find yourselves at church on a Sunday morning. Perhaps you've been invited or you've come along yourself and if that is you today, you may be starting to wonder, what is this place? I remember asking that question the first time I ever stepped into church eight years ago as I walked into a building that didn't have the pews and altar I was expected. I remember looking around and being surprised that most people were under the age of 80. Turns out Christians weren't an extinct species. And then the confusion didn't stop there when the band came up and music started that wasn't hymns and then what seemed like a mass karaoke began. I remember looking around bewildered as people sang their hearts out, arms raised, really getting into it. And one of the things that really got me during the singing was the fact that many people had their eyes closed. And I genuinely remember thinking, and this is terrible, but I remember thinking that this place is like heaven for a thief. (laughs) Think about how many bags you could swipe when a whole congregation has their eyes closed for 30 minutes. And I can see a number of you rooting for your bags nervously. But yeah, I wonder if any of you today are in a similar place to where I was, with lots of questions. And perhaps on top of this, you're expecting a priest or a vicar to come up to speak to you. But instead, you've got me, someone who looks young enough to be attending the secondary school that we're in. (laughs) Well, just to reassure you, you are in a church. I am old enough to be speaking to you now. And don't worry, your stuff is safe here. But in all seriousness, it's wonderful to have you. And I do hope you enjoy the rest of your time here. And to the next part of the service, I'm going to spend a short while speaking to you about the meaning of life. Talk about a gear change. Um, I can imagine some of you thinking, I did not have enough coffee for this. And you would be right. Um, It certainly is a big topic, a topic that has intrigued thinkers over the centuries. But it's not just intrigued the big thinkers, but it also turns out to be a topic that everyday people care about too. A survey was undertaken that asked people across the globe whether they thought about the meaning of life. And nearly 70% of people say they do often or sometimes. So that's the majority of people in the world thinking about it at least sometimes, but perhaps even often. But realistically, we don't need statistics to tell us that people question the meaning of life. It's likely a question you thought about yourself, even briefly. Or perhaps you've been in conversations about it. I certainly have found myself in conversations about it. 
So I'm currently on mat leave, but I work as a doctor. And a few years ago, I had a job working at the Christie, which is the cancer hospital in Manchester. And instead of doing the medical part of cancer care, I worked in the psychiatric department, looking after people's well-being and mental health. And I had the privilege of listening to many people's stories as I helped them process their cancer journey. And as you can imagine, the question of the meaning of life came up frequently. Often crisis points cause us to stop, to question and reevaluate. And I remember some of those questions or conversations vividly. It was a real privilege to be able to journey with people in that way. So the topic of the meaning of life is an important one. It's likely one we've thought about and talked about. So let's look at it a bit more closely. And before I dive in, some of this talk has been developed from this book, um, Making Sense of God. So it's a book for the sceptical, for those who struggle to see if religion makes sense in our day and age. And if this talk intrigues you at all and you're exploring faith, then you can pick up one of those free of charge at the welcome area. So what are we actually asking when we question the meaning of life? What do we mean by asking, what is the meaning of life? Well, when we talk about meaning, what we're often thinking about is purpose. Something has meaning if it was done intentionally. For example, did you mean to hit that ball? What you're asking is, did you purposefully hit that ball? So when we ask about the meaning of life, what we're actually asking is, what is the purpose of life? What's the point? What is the point of what we do? And we know that purpose is important. It's important for us as humans to have a reason to live, to be alive and to do the things we do. So Atan Gawande, a doctor in his book, Being Mortal, speaks of a doctor working at a nursing home who persuaded the manager to bring in pets to be cared for by the residents. And the results were significant. He writes, The residents began to wake up and come to life. People who we had believed weren't able to speak started speaking. People who had been completely withdrawn and non-ambulatory started coming to the nurse's station and saying, I'll take the dog for a walk. All the parakeets are adopted and named by the residents. He continues to explain that the use of psychiatric drugs for agitation dropped to 38% of its original level, and deaths even fell by 15%. In his book, Gawande asked himself why these changes had happened, and he concluded, I believe that the difference in death rates can be traced to the fundamental human need for a reason to live. Why simply existing, why being merely housed and fed and safe and alive seems empty and meaningless to us? What more is it that we need in order to feel that life is worthwhile? The answer is that we all seek a cause beyond ourselves. As we can see, having a sense of purpose is good for us. And the benefits of purpose extend beyond the residents in the nursing home into all of our lives. Studies show that people who feel their lives have purpose tend to be happier, healthier, and age better. And this is why so much time, energy, and thought has gone into thinking about the meaning of life. And in particular, in the last hundred years, because in the past hundred years, many thinkers have recognized that there's been a crisis of purpose, a universally felt lack of purpose, leading to a meaning-shaped hole in our society. You see, back in the day, ancient thinkers seemed quite confident that there was a purpose to life. People believed that major world religions and philosophies provided a sure and certain purpose. However, through developments in science, a new way to understand the world emerged. This scientific worldview saw the world as an accident. 
It saw humans as a collection of particles. The interaction between these particles caused what we call life. And then when the interaction of these particles stop, then life comes to an end. This worldview saw life as brief, accidental, and lacking any inherent value. And therefore, life had no meaning or purpose. And it's interesting to note that it wasn't that the scientific view negated all other meanings of life. It just provided another option people could believe in. But this particular worldview saw life as having no purpose, so it left many of those who followed it in crisis. And then moving forwards in time today, we find ourselves in a postmodern society where we've given up on meaning altogether. Thinkers today have resigned themselves to not expect meaning from life. They say it's nonsensical to ask what the meaning of life is. We don't ask about whether a tree or pencil is meaningful, so why ask that about life? It's absurd to. But not only that, today's thinkers see any claim to there being a universal meaning to life as a type of bondage or oppression. And by universal meaning of life, I speak of a meaning of life that is true for everyone. So they see any claim to there being a universal meaning as bondage. Because if there is a universal meaning to life, then there is a good and a bad, a right and a wrong. As a universal meaning would provide ideas as to what is good and bad and right and wrong to do. So if we flip it on its head, without a universal meaning of life, there is freedom to determine what is good and bad and do whatever we like. So they decide that in giving up on meaning altogether, true freedom can be found. Freedom to choose what is right or wrong. Freedom to come up with our own meaning and live by that. Freedom to choose our own purpose in life. So postmodern thought, where we are today, doesn't believe there is any meaning to life and thinks that's a good thing, as that leaves us free to come up with our own purpose. And this is the worldview we've grown up in. So this, by default, is the worldview we believe. It's what we've known. It's the air we've breathed. If we've never given the meaning of life any thought, this is likely what we think. So this could be the end of my talk. In answer to the question, what is, <laughs> what is the meaning of life? According to the most recent school of thought, the meaning of life is, well, nothing. There is no meaning, so make of life what you will. But we know having a purpose is important, so create your own meaning, create your own purpose, and allow that to satisfy you. The end. <laughs> but before we go, I want to think this position through. So I'm going to do this by asking two questions. So firstly, for our thinkers out there, is this a consistent position? And then secondly, does this work practically for living out our life? So firstly, is this a consistent position? Well, I would argue no. If you remember, postmodern thought dismisses all absolute universal meanings of life. There is no meaning of life that is true for everyone. And it does this in the name of freedom. If there's not an absolute meaning, then people are truly free to create their own meaning. But the problem is, is that they sneakily smuggle in an absolute into the argument. The absolute in the argument is freedom. Freedom is the unquestioned good in their thought. So they're actually giving a universal answer to the question of the meaning of life. Namely, that the meaning of life is to have the freedom to create your own meaning. They can't argue that there is no absolute universal meaning to life, as they impose one on us too. So I'd say the postmodern approach is not consistent. And then secondly, does it work practically for living out your life? 
And I know it does for some, but for me, choosing my own purpose was an approach I found lacking. And it led me on a personal quest to find the meaning of life. So here's a bit of my story. I grew up as a Hindu and I love the tradition and culture of the faith, and I still do, but I struggled to believe in the central tenets of the faith. And I went to school where there was very little diversity, so I was surrounded by atheists, people who dismissed religion as something that was irrational, and instead believed purpose was not to be found, but to be created. And I was deeply affected by this. This is the worldview I adopted. And if I had any purpose back then, it was simply to be happy. And I planned to achieve this by doing what I saw everyone else around me doing. By doing well enough in school to go to uni, to have a career, achieve big things, earn money, go on holiday, get a boyfriend, get married, have the latest stuff, have the latest technology, the latest fashion, and so on. And I probably wouldn't have articulated this at the time, but looking back, I would say that I constantly felt like something was missing. That was certainly how I was living. I was always looking forward to the next thing in life rather than living in the present. And you may be familiar with this type of thinking. I'll be happy or satisfied when I earn a certain amount of money, when I get married, when I get a job. And that was how I was living, but I hadn't slowed down enough to recognize it. I was still young and too busy trying to tick off the next thing and then on the next thing on my quest to find happiness. And I kept thinking the next thing would satisfy me. The next thing is a thing that would make me happy. And it wasn't until tragedy hit that I realized that my way of approaching life just wasn't going to cut it anymore. I was 20 at the time when one of my best friends passed away. So tragically, she died from a complication of an eating disorder. And I entered into a period of grief. Sadly, I'm sure many of you know what that's like. But what I didn't expect was what the tragedy was going to do to my view of the world. As I said before, crisis moments cause us to stop, to question and reevaluate. And this moment for me opened my eyes to what I saw to be the bleak reality of life. So there's three things that it made me realize. Firstly, suffering was an unavoidable reality and my purpose for my life to achieve happiness could not withstand this reality. We can't control life which means suffering is a part of it. Even with our best efforts to save money, be healthy and live carefully, we can't avoid pain and tragedy. We can't avoid certain illnesses, loved ones passing, accidents, or just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Life is not simply what we make of it, often it is just what it is. The problem with putting my purpose in achieving happiness was that it was vulnerable to the realities of how life would go. To have a meaningful life, life had to go well for me, which meant that suffering had power to disrupt my purpose. The purpose for my life that I'd created for myself was to make myself happy, and sadly that purpose could not withstand the suffering I was experiencing. Secondly, I realised that the things I was chasing to achieve happiness had never truly satisfied. And I've already touched on this, but it was at this point that I actually asked myself, am I happy? And the answer to that question was sadly no. I had a great life. I had a great family. I was at uni. I had good future prospects. I had loads of friends. And I enjoyed my social life. Um, my wonderful parents are in the crowd today, so hi, guys. And so when I say I enjoyed my social life, what I actually mean is, is that I was hanging out in the library. I had lots of cups of tea and all-nighters studying, of course. So, you know, things were going well. 
But so far, nothing had really satisfied me. I realised that I was busy chasing things that society had told me would make me happy. And as I wasn't happy yet, I was constantly looking for the next thing to fill the hole inside of me. Also, I realised I wasn't even sure I knew what would make me happy. My desires changed month by month, sometimes even moment by moment. I wasn't actually sure what I needed to do to achieve happiness. So I was stuck, unfulfilled, and unsure what to do about it. And then thirdly, I realised that death was an unavoidable reality, and my purpose for my life to achieve happiness could not withstand this reality. And I bet you were um, hoping for a more cheerful final point. <laughs> I'm really sorry about that. It does get cheerier eventually. So facing death opened my eyes to the reality of life. Um, it's like in the first scene of Monty Python's film, The Meaning of Life, where there's a few fish swimming around in their tank at a restaurant, and suddenly they realise their friend Howard is being served to be eaten by a guest at the restaurant. So one of the fish says, makes you think, doesn't it? And yeah, facing, <laughs> facing death certainly did make me think. I realised that death was the one thing I could be sure of in life. I knew that ultimately one day I would die, and my friends and family would do as well. Not only that, but as I believed the universe was going to die one day too, nothing I did or achieved would ever have any lasting impact, as one day it'll all just be burnt up. And in the end, it wouldn't matter if I'd ever existed. And that meant it didn't really matter what I did today. I could give away all my money to serve the homeless in Manchester, or I could go around churches nicking people's bags and getting rich. <laughs> Obviously, serving the homeless will make their lives happier for a brief moment, and nicking everyone's bags at church will make a fair few people unhappier for a period of time. But when viewed on a grand scale, my actions would be negligible. So as you can see, the passing of my friend plunged me into a deep meaning of life crisis. The purpose I'd created for my life, to be happy, wasn't holding up. And I just kept asking, what's the point? But I was left with the answer of nothing. There was no point, no purpose, no meaning to anything. And I guess unsurprisingly, I'm not the only person who had a similar dilemma. So the novelist Leo Tolstoy, who wrote War and Peace, I think there he is, um, <laughs> at the age of 50, realised that everyone he loved would die and that all he had written would be forgotten in a few generations. He describes it like this in his book, A Confession. Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? Is there a meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? So Tolstoy and I had reached a similar conclusion. But as you can see from the photo, that may have been one of the only things we had in common. <laughs> it's pretty impressive facial hair, right? I mean, you can't even see his mouth. It's just lost in this facial forest. <laughs> he goes on in his book to say, how can we fail to see this? This is what is surprising. One can only live while one is intoxicated with life. As soon as one is sober, it's impossible not to see that it is all a mere fraud, a stupid fraud. He goes on to explain that he had sobered up and was unable to go back to writing novels because it lacked any long-lasting objective meaning. He speaks of how he was now thinking rationally and was unable to return to the mindset he had before this revelation. And this is what it was like for me. I felt my eyes had been opened to the reality of life. And now that my eyes were open, what was I going to do? How could I live knowing what I now knew? So I considered creating a new meaning for my life. 
perhaps I could gain the most knowledge or add as much value to others' lives as possible. But as I knew the outcome of my efforts would eventually be nothing, I couldn't muster up motivation to even give these created purposes a go. So then I considered trying to ignore the bigger picture and just attempt to live in the moment. I tried to forget the ultimate outcome of all that we do and instead just live day by day, moment by moment. But I couldn't fool myself. I couldn't turn off the rational part of my brain that was telling me it was all meaningless. I couldn't train myself to ignore reality. And I realised that even if I tried to ignore the bigger picture, that it would inevitably keep breaking in on me, as I couldn't stop suffering or death. I couldn't ensure life would be okay. And just so you know, what I'm not saying is that you can't have any meaning or purpose in your life. You can. Many people find purpose in being good parents, spouses, friends, by achieving things in their jobs, by being altruistic and giving to others. People can create purpose and do meaningful things for society. So many people do lead lives they consider meaningful. But for me, I found it deeply unsatisfying, thinking that the ultimate outcome would be nothingness. And I started to wonder, was this all there is to life? So I started to look back at how others over history had thought about the meaning of life. Whereas previously, I would have been dismissive of most other ways of thinking. My circumstances opened my eyes. So I looked beyond the idea of creating my own meaning and tried to see what others thought. And I was open to knowing that perhaps I wouldn't find any universal meaning to life. I wasn't about to trick myself into believing something just to get rid of the ache I was experiencing. I knew I wouldn't be able to fool myself. But I thought it was worth a shot. Was there an objective, discoverable meaning to life? Was there a meaning to life that wasn't focused on myself, my own feelings, my own interpretations? I thought it was worth exploring because then I'd either know for sure that there was no meaning to life or I'd find another answer that may have been more satisfying. And then to cut a long story short, after exploring different religions and philosophies, I ended up believing Christianity, which I can imagine doesn't come to a, as a surprise to you given I'm speaking here at church. <laughs> so for the last part of this talk, I'm going to share what the Christian perspective is on the meaning of life. What has the Bible and the Christian faith got to say about meaning and purpose? And I'm going to do this by presenting the Christian perspective on the world that we live in, so how Christians understand reality, how they understand the universe, the beginning, the end, and everything in the middle. No small feat. Just before I share, as you hear this, I can imagine many of you will almost instantly dismiss or feel uncomfortable with the Christian narrative. And that's even for those of you who'd call yourselves a Christian. I felt pangs of discomfort when writing this part of the talk. It's because in our current cultural moment, we've been trained to dismiss grand, overarching narratives. We're trained to reject stories or perspectives that are true for everyone. So your knee-jerk reaction when you hear the Christian perspective of the universe may be to reject it instinctively. And that's okay. Just see what you think as I continue. So let's get going. The Christian perspective on life starts with creation. God created the world and everything in it, and he created it to be good. The pinnacle of his creation was humankind. He created humans that he would know intimately, that he would relate to, that he would walk with and guide to fulfill the task he had given them. So what was the task God had given humans to do? Humans were tasked with lovingly, tasked with lovingly and fairly ruling over the world God had created as his delegated authority ruling in a way that reflected God's heart and intentions, ruling fairly and justly. 
The intended outcome of this was peace, happiness, fairness and joy. This is what the world was to look like when God's rule was expressed. So humans had a purpose. There was meaning to their lives. They were to know God and they were to fairly and lovingly rule over creation. But humankind didn't take to that well. In fact, they decided to totally reject it in favour of creating their own purpose. They wanted to do things their own way. They wanted to decide what was good and bad for themselves rather than allowing God to guide them and teach them what was good and bad. They rejected God as their ultimate ruler and instead wanted to be ultimate rulers on their own terms. And God allowed them to make that decision. As they didn't want to know him, he stopped them from being able to access him all the time. They were no longer close. And he allowed them to experience the consequences of the decisions they made as they redefined what was good and bad. We see what this means in the first story that we read in the Bible after God removed humans from his proximity. Cain and Abel are brothers, and in a moment of jealousy, Cain decided it was good in his own eyes to kill Abel. He decided it was good to kill his brother. And thousands of years later, as humanity's poor decisions have stacked up, we live in a world with wars, poverty, and multiple injustices, to name a few things. Humankind's decision to turn away from God resulted in a few other negative consequences too. Nature became unstable, fragile, there were earthquakes, droughts and storms, sickness entered into the world, and as I alluded to earlier, so did death. None of these were part of God's original good creation, but things that came about as a consequence of humankind rejecting God. And all of these things meant that pain, sickness, death and injustice became the norm in the world we live in. And then throughout the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible, we see God trying to restore relationship with humankind. He calls them back to their original purpose, to faithfully love and care for the world. But again and again, people reject God and his purposes for them. And it all looks very bleak. And then Jesus comes along. So Jesus, the son of God, comes to earth to rescue people from their predicament, to rescue people from the consequences of their decision to turn away from God from pain, suffering, sickness, death and injustice, and also from their sense of purposelessness, their lack of meaning in their lives. Jesus went around announcing good news that God's kingdom had come, meaning that God had started through Jesus a way for his rule to be here on earth again. So remember right at the start of the story when God's loving and just rule was being manifest through hum humankind, his delegated authority, well, through Jesus, God found a way for that rule to become present on earth again. Jesus showed humankind what it looked like to rule justly and lovingly. He served and fed the poor. He called out injustice and rebuked the perpetrators. He showed us what it was like to love and serve other humans. And not only that, but he started to reverse the effects of humanity's initial decision to turn away from God. He brought healing to the sick around him. He was able to calm a storm, bringing nature under control. And on the cross, he died and was resurrected, triumphing over death and therefore defeating death for humankind. And before he left to ascend to be with the Father, he gave his disciples throughout the ages his spirit. His spirit, his power and presence to be with his followers so that we could know God intimately again. And so that we could continue Jesus' work of restoration and healing on the earth meaning that those who follow Jesus can start to rule over the earth like they were always meant to, in a loving, peaceful and just way. 
So this is the time we're in now. This is where we find ourselves at the current moment, a time where there's still much suffering, sickness and death, but a time where Christians partnering with Jesus' spirit are bringing God's rule into their lives, their families, their workplaces and neighbourhoods. And although we still die today, Christians believe that Jesus will return and when he does, they will be resurrected like he was in a new resurrection body that is imperishable, free from sickness and death. And then when Jesus returns, he'll bring God's rule here on earth in its fullness. God's loving rule will be here at last, much like it was at the beginning before humanity rejected God. There'll be no part of the world that isn't under God's rule. This means there'll be no sickness, no injustice, no pain, no death, no suffering whatsoever. The world will be restored and God will be with his people. So it's a bit of a whistle-stop tour. There's obviously a lot in that. So don't worry if you didn't understand me or you lost me. And to help us and to end, so we're nearly there, let me draw out a few points from that Christian narrative of the world that help us reflect on the Christian meaning of life. So firstly, intimacy. One of the key purposes in the life of a Christian is knowing God and being known by him. God created us to be able to relate to him, walk closely, to hear his voice, to be guided by him. Just like humankind at the beginning of creation, we have all turned away from God and rejected him in our lives. All of us have turned and decided to redefine what we think is good and bad and live in a way that fulfills our own purposes. And many of us have grown up in a worldview that doesn't allow any space for God. We've rejected the idea that there is a God who could know and love us. But God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, dealing with the consequences of our rejection of him, allowing us to intimately relate to him again. In that moment of death on the cross, Jesus experienced what it was like to be separated from God. He experienced the meaninglessness of life without relationship with God. And he did that on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to experience the same. The most powerful, loving, awesome, gentle being in the universe wants to be in relationship with us. The Bible defines God as love. God is love. God wants to know us. He wants to know you. He loves us so dearly and he wants us to know that love. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with Christianity, having intimacy with God is not not really what you think. It's not just a cerebral acknowledgement of Christian truths, but a relationship with God. A loving parent figure who knows and deeply, deeply loves their child, guiding them, teaching them and supporting them. And what's exciting is that through the Holy Spirit, God can speak to us today and we can experience him. We can experience his love, his peace, his joy and many other good things. And in fact, that's one of the things that convinced me that Christianity was true. It was experiencing God just pouring out an intense and fiery joy into my heart. During a service, the pastor had felt God say to them that some people in the room were going to experience God's joy for the first time. And in that moment, I experienced joy just flood over me. A joy so joyful that I'd never experienced anything like it before. It was almost a giddiness. And I knew it wasn't something I'd just manufactured, as I had no reason to be joyful at the time. In fact, I'd literally just been crying, so it was quite a dramatic change. I'd spent months examining the evidence behind Christianity, reading books, and in the end, it was an experience of intimacy with God that birthed my faith. And then taking it one step further, knowing God intimately can be transformational. 
There's countless stories in this church of people who have had their lives changed by encountering God's love. People who have been healed of chronic illnesses, arthritis, food intolerances, deafness, freed from addictions, freed from anxiety and depression. People have been freed from perfectionism or the fear of failure or had their insecurities healed over. That's a big one. People who are no longer insecure about how they look, what they're doing with their lives, who they're with, who they're not with. Being known and loved by Jesus has allowed them to be their authentic selves. So intimacy with God has changed everything for them, and it's such an amazing thing. So firstly, relationship with him is a key aspect of purpose in a Christian's life. And then secondly, Christians are given a task. In the beginning, humankind was given the task of extending God's loving rule in God's good creation. Now after the effects of humankind turning away from God in a world full of pain and suffering, Christians are called to extend his rule in a broken world. That is their primary task or purpose here on earth. We're called to love one another, fight for justice, meet the needs of the disadvantaged, bring the lonely into family, look after creation. Over the ages, we've seen many Christians grasp this task and catalyze a positive change in the world. For instance, Christians spearheaded the movement to end slavery and were at the heart of the civil rights movement in the US. And today they run numerous food banks and volunteer thousands of hours to different charities, communities and causes, amongst many other things. For us as a church, part of what this looks like is our 42 Community Hub. We restored a derelict youth centre down the road from here in Longsight. And at this community hub, we've partnered with local organisations to run all sorts of things that benefit the community. So there's community lunches for those in need of community, a food pantry for those unable to buy food to support themselves or their families, kids and youth clubs and free music lessons to provide a space to invest in the next generation. And that's just a few of the things there. And that's just part of what the church is doing. Each individual here is also partnering with God using their unique skills, passion and experience they have to see God's rule extend here on earth. So one of the ladies in the church explained to me recently how recognising the task Christians are given has changed her life. Before becoming Christian, she had a lot of anxiety over whether she was doing the right job, whether she was good enough, whether she was high up in her career. She questioned her role and purpose in life. And becoming a Christian simplified things for her. She knew her purpose was to love and care for others. And it helped her make a career change to become a teacher, a job which she now finds much more satisfying. And she feels free to focus on loving and nurturing each child, rather than worrying if she's the best in the field or not progressing quickly enough. So for her, realising the simplicity of the task at hand brought purpose and relief. And that's just her. Each of us has a role to play in the task of restoring the world and bringing God's rule here. It's an exciting and freeing purpose to have. And thirdly, a Christian's purpose or meaning is durable. It's able to withstand suffering. From a Christian perspective, we know that suffering isn't good. We know that it wasn't God's original plan for us. And we know that he's done something about it through his son Jesus to ensure that suffering will come to an end. So we're heading to a reality where suffering will no longer exist. So when we suffer, which we will do at multiple points in our lives, Christians can experience a deep peace from understanding their perspective of suffering. 
so they can look suffering in the face for the awful reality that it is and know that it has been conquered, providing a deep peace to face their circumstances. You see, Christians that are suffering don't need to think less about reality. They don't need to escape reality by their drug of choice. Instead, they can think deeply about the implications of what they believe. No circumstances they may face will ever take them away from the presence of God in their lives and the knowledge and eventual experience of a suffering-free world. And even more than that, in some circumstances, suffering can even be meaningful. It may have the effect on bringing them closer to God, transforming them to become more like him. Or perhaps their suffering could be used to bring some good on the earth, to extend God's rule in some way. For Christians, suffering can in, can in some cases even enhance their meaning of life. So a Christian's purpose is durable. It's able to withstand even the darkest and most dreadful pains and sufferings this world can offer. And then lastly, the Christian perspective on purpose and meaning of life is satisfying. So with those last three points combined, I would argue that the Christian perspective on purpose is satisfying. Rather than chasing after the next thing to achieve, experience or accumulate, Christians find a deep satisfaction in knowing God and having a role to play in bringing God's role, um, rule here on earth. Knowing the one who created you, his unconditional love, his forgiveness, acceptance and delight satisfies our deep longings to be fully known and fully loved. An ancient Christian thinker puts it like this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. When we rest satisfied in the knowledge and experience of a relationship with a loving God, we find rest for all the restlessness, angst and longing we may have experienced. Knowing God fills a deep hole in our lives to be fully known and fully loved. Loved and accepted for who we are, not what we've done or not done. And then adding on to that, deep satisfaction is also found in knowing we've been uniquely made by God with skills, passions and experience to help in bringing God's rule here on earth. As we explored using the pets at the nursing home story, having a purpose, having a reason to live beyond yourself is good for us. And Christianity provides that, a reason to live, a cause to fight for, a purpose and meaning that is durable, a purpose and meaning that is deeply satisfying. So we've been on quite a journey today. We have looked at the term meaning of life, that it points to the idea of purpose. We focused on the postmodern idea of meaning, that there is no meaning to life. We questioned this viewpoint, whether it was consistent or practical, and I shared how I decided for me that it was neither. And lastly, we looked at the Christian perspective on meaning. So finally, I just want to invite you all to take a moment to consider your purpose or meaning in life. What or who are you living for? It may be that as you do so, you realise that you are satisfied with the answer, and if so, that's great. Or it may be that as you think it through, you notice that something is missing, that your satisfaction in your purpose is not complete. And if that's the case, I just invite you to start a journey of exploring. With a Christian faith, you can find a purpose that is durable, able to withstand suffering. A purpose that enables you to know a loving God. God is love. A purpose that gives you an exciting task to love and honour others, fight for justice and see the world restored. A purpose which I believe ultimately is deeply satisfying. And if you do want to know this purpose, the good news is, is that it's freely available to you today.
Brilliant. If you're able, would you like to stand? Um, so we're just going to take a moment now to um, invite the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. It's what Jesus left us um, as he went to be with the Father. It's the way we experience God now. We know his love, the way he heals and moves amongst us. So there'll be um, moments of quiet, moments of silence. That's okay. It's just a great time to just, yeah, clear mind and just um, see what God might want to do. Lord, come Holy Spirit. We're just gonna just gonna wait on the Lord and just would invite you even to put your hands out in front of you if you if you'd like to, as if you're yeah, just posturing yourself before the Lord to receive something from him and offering offering yourself before him. just had um, a few different senses as Hetel was speaking and the team this morning who've been praying um, that yeah that the Holy Spirit is just um, is prompting some stuff in in us or there might be things that people are feeling um, and that for some of us here there's a big question of um, what am I doing here and that might be in this city um, or, or just in life, that that question has been on your heart recently. And the Lord is so kind and he offers us answers. Um, so in a moment, we'll invite people to, to come and step to the front as well, um, where you can have some prayer. Someone will pray with you. Um, I feel like the Lord might want to deposit a real the gift of faith on some of us, where that... Um, yeah, well, that might be lacking or you want... That's, that's the cry of your heart. And for others, that there is a flame to be fanned in your heart this morning that you believe and you know, but you know that there's so much more as well. Yeah, I was just getting the sense that some people really need to experience joy this morning. And God is a fountain of love and joy. Life with him is so joyful. And for, I guess, a multitude of reasons, some of you guys might not be in that place. 
I think the Holy Spirit wants that to just be poured over into your hearts. And for people who might want to make that decision for the first time today, if you want to accept Jesus into your heart, yeah, we just would invite you to make like that physical step forward to come, um, to come to the sides, come to the front where we'd love to pray with you. And if that is you, please do share with the person who's praying with you that that is what, um, that's what's going on for you. That would be, um, yeah, that would be amazing. And we'd love to equip you with some practical things as well. Yeah, and I was just getting the sense that um, Jesus wants to do some um, physical healing today, in particular for backs. So if you have back pain, back problems, anything along those lines, um, come up and we'll get someone to pray for you for Jesus to heal that now. Yeah, just over physical healing as well. Um, Just over the sense of like just... Your gro- uh, someone's groin area as well that actually that's a really um, yeah be really there's something going on and you would love some prayer over that um, so yeah we'd love to invite invite people out now if you are um, if any of that resonates or if you just want someone to stand with you and pray with you you're welcome to um, yeah come to the sides come out to the front um, there is space for you here resonated that is a very good reason to get prayer so feel free to come up or to nudge the person next to you Um, God gives us purpose and yeah he's a great God to know find out more head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description